Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Content Clearinghouse. I'm Josh Evans. And I'm Brett Chisholm. And on today's episode, we talk about teaching kids how to swear properly. We both have a lot of content and a lot of opinions on the content circuit. And then if you love love, then you'll love Brett's take on the love show that he loves so much, Dating Around. I love it. Shows and video games, podcast books, and their acclaims. Let their favorite content become yours. It's the Content Clearing House. Content Clearing House. And it starts right now. Josh, what's going on? Oh, man. I don't think I told you about what happened to me on the way to work this week. I was. Uh, uh, I don't think you did. I was driving down the highway and I depressed the gas pedal and it just like bottomed out all the way to the floorboard and the RPM shot way up. And then my, my, it felt like my transmission exploded basically. So I just like barely what? got it off the side of the road and then called the tow truck and took them forever to get there. And we were kind of like, Oh, I guess, you know, this car might be a write off, but the other day, the dealership called me and, and said, oh, Mr. Evans, there's a recall on your engine, so uh, we're going to be replacing it for free. So I'm getting a brand new engine on Wednesday. Oh, my gosh. That's insane. <laughs> it's so crazy. It went from like seeming like a total disaster to being like, oh, just go ahead and bust open the uh, odometer and roll it back to zero on my car. So how many miles did you have on that? I'm assuming you're calling your car Delta Tango now. Well, it didn't almost kill me, but it was close. Um, it was 130,000 miles, so it's a it's a real upgrade getting that entire engine replaced. That was not what I was expecting them to tell me. Wow, that's insane. I like recalls. I feel like are so rare; they just don't really happen. You know, maybe once every ten years. Unless you're buying some really shitty products. Are you going to get a you know recall what? notice? This car has been awesome, except for the two recalls that have been uh, that it's had. It had one where the oil pan completely dropped out of it, and all the oil leaked out, and they replaced that for free. And now the engine. So maybe the uh, 2013 Hyundai Santa Fe is not the most reliable vehicle on the road. <laughs> I don't know, man. It's you're still driving it. Got a free engine out of it, so yeah, I'm I'm totally fine. Honestly, I love driving that car. It's just I just it's like a nice the car. engine would, all the oil would stay in it, and the engine would work. Then you know I'd be completely satisfied. Yeah, that's those are pretty helpful things. Well, I speaking of uh, hitting the road, I actually took the camper, Bree and I. Uh, we drove to Black Canyon of the Gunnison National Park. Ended up doing like three nights in some open land, just dispersed camping. Got out of the state park bubble a little bit. And it's been really awesome. We met up with some very good friends of ours that built out a shuttle bus, like a shuttle van that they've converted. And it's uh, a couple, two kids and two dogs. So uh, it's in it's exciting. <laughs> in In one, I mean, it's... It's pretty spacious. It's pretty big. They did an awesome job. But yeah, I think adding kids to the road life or the trailer life oh or the van God. life. Woo, baby. Well, they're they're awesome we, kids, though. We really we barely have enough room for our kids in this giant house we live in. <laughs> yeah, I don't think any space is going to be enough space when it comes to having multiple kids. But I obviously don't know anything about this. Well, you know what? It's really uh, I like that you brought up children because what did, I've been having some thoughts lately about teaching children to swear. And if you don't have yeah. kids, this has probably never occurred to you. But the, this was something I was really torn on the entire lead up to us having kids. And then now that we have kids, thinking about, you know, like, our oldest is, you know, she's starting to talk now. And I mean, she's been talking for a while. So she, you know, it's really like babbling up a storm and she'll just repeat anything she's, she hears. So it's something that I really have like been 
putting a lot of effort into trying to figure out how I want to approach the idea of swearing with her. And it all like, it all like kind of came, you know, to the forefront this week when (laughs) my wife was laying her down. And as my wife left the room, you know, for to lay her down for bed, she looked up really just innocently and sweetly. And she said, mama, we leave my door open or I'll kick you in the grundle. (laughs) (laughs) And so it was just like completely out of nowhere. And I mean, honestly, it was absolutely adorable, but we don't (laughs) want her going around saying things like, we're going to kick you in the grundle. So, I mean, it was humor gold. Wow. But (laughs) now I have to really put some thought into how we're going to, you know, just, approach the concept of swearing to her. Wow. It's true what they say. Kids say the darndest things, don't they? Yeah, like she will literally repeat anything she hears. And, you know, like grundle isn't a swear word, but it is kind of like borderline. And swearing does have its place, you know, in the pantheon of human communication. You know, it's, you and I know, like, it's very valuable if you're trying to be funny. But, you can, you know, you can use ex- express explosive anger or, like, emotion. You can use it to be hurtful. It really is like a double-edged sword. But ultimately... You know, I, I, I actually that- remember uh, hearing about a story or a, um, a study, actually, like a research study that said swearing actually can reduce your pain or the amount of subjective pain that you're feeling. So there definitely totally is some sort of that. purpose of this thing. Yeah, you're like releasing energy through words. Yeah, and it's like it's kind of like a like a verbal form of like an animal's howl or something, you know. It's it there's definitely something in like our evolution as a speaking species, you know, that swear words, you know, they exist in every single language. And you can really like you can really wield them and you know, I think the value of swearing really needs to be explained that it can be used for good or it can be used for bad. Like I was raised in a manner where swearing was strictly forbidden. It was almost like it was a sin. You know, there was a lot of strong forbidden fruit mentality attached to certain words. And I think that approach really gives those words in a certain way too much power. Like it makes them seem isolated from other speech and that makes you know, it, it makes your understanding of them, I'd, I'd say, a little more immature. You know, you don't really understand when to use them and when not to. Yeah, that's, I mean, definitely. I, you know, I, I feel like I have a little bit of experience with, or like, I, this is a really interesting topic because I'm sure everybody has a moment where they first use a word or maybe got in trouble for a word or started to change their opinions on what words are appropriate to use. And I I do admit that I probably use bad words a little more than I should. But I do remember very specifically this time when I was a young adult uh, or a late teenager. And I I used to, when I was growing up, I was in plays. There was a local community theater and and, uh, I did a lot of plays and musicals. And, And one of these plays was actually an adult play. There was two kids in the cast Right, and we were these kids. I think it was Lost in Yonkers, if I remember correctly. But I mean, it was a an adult play, a very serious subject matter, and all of the actors and performers were adults, except for these two kids in the cast. I was one of those kids. Youths. That's yeah, that's right. I had a pretty terrible New York accent for sure. But hey, <laughs> can you, know. you do it here Look. right now? <laughs> oh, you got it, man. You got it. Yeah, it's pretty I'll terrible. I'll honk at you all day if you get me. A, I, I can't do it, man. I, I'm I terrible at accents. I went into podcasting and not it voice is, acting. It destroyed my, my potential <laughs> acting career. Well, there was a scene where I had to like have a rant and like swear a bunch. And I remember it actually having an impact on my real life because I felt that the play and using these bad words and having to own them, like in front of an audience, you had to like cuss out, you know, these other characters in front of this audience. 
it empowered me in a way to use these words and even push back and like set some more boundaries in my real life. Like I, I definitely haven't thought about this in a long time, but this, this moment just kind of came to me of like using a swear word for the first time in front of my parents in like a very serious way. Right. And it, so it's kind of interesting. Uh, I don't know. That's, that's my one story for you. Well, yeah, I mean, it's like, there's, tons of value in those words you know like like you're saying like empowering you or in humor you know in a lot of humor swearing is like the glue that binds it all together but i also think about when you listen to someone speak who uses something like the word fucking like every other word in the way that some people use like the word um or like just like i did uh, you know one one approach can border on genius and mastery of the language and the other makes the, makes you think the person you're speaking with is like a fucking idiot. So <laughs> it's, I think it's important for children to understand that now, admittedly three or four is much too young for a lesson like that. So we have to really censor ourselves almost entirely around her, like way more than I would prefer to, you know, is that like said, how old Isla is right now? Four years old? Yeah, she's going on four right now, and she is just a sponge. Like She'll soak up anything she hears, and she'll spit it out like at the most inopportune moments, like the Grundle incident that we had. Now, where so, did she hear a word like Grundle? Is she studying it was uh, anatomy? or me. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure it was something I said, because that is a funny thing that I would say, oh, I'm going to kick you in the Grundle. So now I realize that I can't say that anymore around her for a while. So really, you know, it's not as simple as just explaining that logic to her, you know, and just letting her loose in the world. But I hope as she gets older, I can kind of like explain this nuance to her. And I think the way that I've settled on that I want to teach her these rules, you know, I want to explain to her that eventually when she's older, she can use any language she wants in the house as long as she's not being hurtful or hateful or bigoted or racist or personally attacking someone. I think those, those things absolutely will not stand, but you know, bonus points for being funny, but those <laughs> rules, points. those rules like only extend to our front door. And then once you step outside the door, you have to adhere to the rules of a polite society, which means more or less erring on the side of caution because you never know what someone else's personal boundaries are. And, if you get in trouble for using inappropriate language at school or in public, you're going to be in trouble at home, regardless of whether what you said would be acceptable in our house. Like those are for the life of me. I cannot find this article, but I remember reading something similar to that three or four years ago. And it was like such an eye opening idea that someone else had put thought into this kind of issue and laid out, similar rules to these like in a clear concise manner so i'm really hoping that that's what we can teach her as she gets older well that seems like a very responsible approach and uh you know i'm reminded of uh recently hearing a quote on npr from some senator some governor or something like that and he's talking about the mask issues right now because as you've probably heard the uh rate of COVID and the spread of coronavirus is on the rise now that everybody's out and out and about and doing their thing. And, and there's, you know, this, this sort of culture war around wearing masks. And, uh, I, I heard this quote that we're, we've gotten so involved in protecting our individual rights that we've kind of forgotten how to treat our fellow man and woman. Right. So, I feel like this is a very similar situation. It's like when we're out in the world and, and we're part of a society, we're part of a community, we have to do our best to take care of each other and, and to try not to, like you said, use language that would upset other people or offend other people. Um, and of course, with the mask, it's it's debated <laughs> uh, whether or not it is the right thing to do or if it is too much of an infringement on people's rights. But I mean, that... That's beside the point. Language is the same way. Like it's an interesting conversation to have because some people are, think, you know, using the 
God's name in vain is akin to using the F word, right? So they're, they're, not everybody is going to agree, but I think you're at least planting the seed and showing Isla that there is a difference between the, the world around you when you're inside and, and not engaging in your community. And then maybe there's a difference between that and going out into the world and being a part of that community. Yeah, there absolutely is. And I mean, that's what every person does all day, every day. And if you don't, then you're just kind of being an asshole. If you're just going out and swearing up a storm in the middle of Walmart or wherever it is you shop. I remember whenever I was like a, like a young skater kid, I would get so mad if someone that was just in public got onto me for the way I was speaking. I would just be like, oh, here we go with the thought police. And little did I realize that I was just like being such a jerk. You know, it's like I would be I'd be so upset now if I was like walking my kids around like in a shopping center and I heard like some skaters dropping F-bombs, you know, but that's totally what I would do whenever I was a kid because I was told jerk and you don't know better. So yeah. I hope I can raise her to be a little bit better than uh, than I understood the way the world works. Well, if you don't, I'm going to kick you in the Grendel. <laughs> that seems like a reasonable response. <laughs> what's on your uh, what's on your content circuit lately? Oh man, well I'm glad you asked because I had nothing for you last week, and uh, it's been a You're good really week for it. content for me. Yeah, well, obviously, as soon as we recorded last week's episode, reply all. I listened to all of the episodes that you recommended. I'm. Already so got good, a bunch man. more in the queue. It is a fantastic show, and that's why you talked about it on the Content Clearinghouse. We only talk about the best. I'm so sad I've burned through all their episodes twice already, man. I wow. want more Reply I, All, and it takes them forever to get new episodes out. So if you guys hear yeah, us, I mean, it's it's very well, very well produced. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, but I've also been listening to some Sam Harris, a lot of podcasts since I, you know, did that camping trip. Um, he has a great piece uh, called "Can We Pull Back from the Brink?" A very it. interesting, yeah. Also, uh, existential risk. It was a conversation with Toby Ord. Now, Sam Harris, his his podcast is behind a paywall. I believe it's a hundred dollars a year for both his podcast and a hundred dollars a year if you want to use his meditation app. But he talks about this all the time. You can get on samharris.org. This is not a sponsored ad, by the way. I just really like his podcast, but he yeah, wants it, his man. content. Absolutely. It's, it's, it really is some insightful stuff. And I, I think he's bringing a little bit of sanity into some very charged conversations and some very difficult topics are tackled from, you know, uh, more independent perspective. I mean, he's definitely not on the right, not on the left, and I, I think he offends a lot of people on the right and on on the left. But I think he's a very mindful. He's not trying. You know, he's a longtime meditator, philosopher. He's definitely not out to offend people. He is out to but have you know, conversations and figure this stuff out. The people that are getting offended, and this is what I've all, I've thought about most systems is that the further you get to the edge of the fringes, the less reasonable that system becomes. So like, you know, the left and the right, the political structure, the further you get to alt-right or the far left, that's where there's reason is no longer part of the conversation. It's just these are our talking points, these are our rules, and you're just required, if you want to be part of that group, to just adhere to all of them. And then you right. know, something like this is just like Sam Harris is just more down the center. You know, there are things that he talks about that that I'm sure the right loves and I'm sure the left loves. But the difference is that he's not married to any one viewpoint strictly because that's what his quote unquote side has declared to be, you know, their their battleground points. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, his show is absolutely worth checking out. And um, if you get on uh, his website, samharris.org, he he will offer his content to you for free. You do not have to pay money. He obviously needs to support himself. I mean, the, like thinking and talking to people is his full-time profession. Um, but he also believes that any content, any information 
uh, these conversations should be available to anybody and cost, you know, should not be a factor at the end of the day. But paying people takes a lot of calories to think that hard. You know, I, um, I kind of made the decision because I'm kind of in a weird work situation right now. Um, and our podcast, we haven't hit the million dollar mark yet with the content clearing house. Once, once we get there, I'll probably pay for both. So but close, right now bro, Brett. So we're getting close. there, buddy. I, we so right now I, I do pay nine, 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 <laughs> nine, 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 more. <laughs> yeah, that's, that, that's correct. <laughs> uh, we're getting there. Well, so I do pay for, I'll admit this. I pay for the meditation app, but I emailed him and I got the podcast for free. So I kind of split the difference on that one. Uh, but both are well worth the money. Um, but podcast wise, I also listened to last podcast on the left about lobotomies. That was fascinating. Such a good one. It, it was a Parks knows good, how to good two-parter. <laughs> oh man. And then, uh, Spider-Man homecoming. Watch that. And uh, as far as Netflix go, oh yeah, Spider-Man: Homecoming is uh, I I enjoyed it. I think it's great. I need to get on that. Do it. I I love the Spider-Man, the new MCU Spider-Man. You know they finally worked it out with Sony, and and they had to kiss and make up, and and we got some great movies. And then uh, have you seen Into the Spider-Verse? Oh God, I'm I'm going to talk about it on the podcast, and if unless you beat me to it, it is. The one of the best movies I've ever seen. It is so unbelievable. It's um, so so good. I don't want to go too deep into it, but have you looked into the animation, like the framing that they did? I think they call it like yeah half framing or something, where they would delete yes. every other frame in the in the uh, in the sequence. So it gave it like this. Yeah, there's really a great article choppy, about that. Yeah. yeah, it gives it like this choppy, almost like comic book feel, like you're looking at individual panes. I mean, that for sure. I I can only imagine working on that movie must have been just the ultimate expression for the 3D artists and animators because, uh, dude, it's it's, it's like masterful it. art storytelling. I mean, it is it's it's incredibly entertaining. Even my wife, who you know is definitely not as superhero. Uh, genre loving as me and she definitely I don't think she knew anything about the movie when I started watching it I think uh, about a year and a half ago and she just got sucked into it immediately I mean they just put the hooks in ya and I think about that movie all the time we're gonna we're gonna talk about it on the podcast save it um, save the good stuff but it <laughs> but in a little less masterful uh, entertainment uh, floor is lava on Netflix I've <laughs> watched a few episodes of that and it's really fun and funny and and uh, kind of a little bit related to what I'm talking about today not not too much but uh yeah that's my content circuit a lot of stuff on there so i got uh a video game I've been waiting for for at least 3 or 4 years the last of us part 2 have you heard of this seen anything about oh, it i have. Don't even know what the last of us is so I, you know, I haven't been playing video games, but I saw the ending. Uh, well, don't reveal the, that here. Yeah, well, I, I saw it on Reddit, and I don't know. There, there's, I've just seen a lot of stuff about it on the internet, but it definitely seems like a uh, a big hit in the video game content world right now. So it's kind of crazy. I mean, like The Last of Us, for anyone who's not familiar, it's basically like it's third-person action. It's a zombie game uh, created by Naughty Dog, which is the, the developer. But there's a lot of controversy around this game right now, and it all kind of revolves around crunch. In a video game world, all these AAA titles all have something called crunch where the employees are essentially required to like work a bunch of un- – unpaid overtime to get the to get the product done and shipped on time and there was some issue an angered employee and they leaked a bunch of the story had something to do with with crunch going on in the last of us and so long before the game was released people you know more or less thought they knew the entire story they thought they knew a lot of the turns i avoided all those things because i wanted to just experience the game for what it is but there was all this community outrage and it's it it started to make me think about like the implied consumer ownership over content and like an entitlement 
of what you deserve versus just accepting the art the creators want to present. Like on Metacritic, oh yeah, the critical reviews by all the review outlets have this sitting at a 94%, which is essentially almost a perfect game, definitely a masterpiece. But the consumer ratings, which are on a different scale, 0 to 10, they're sitting at 4.6, which is absolute trash if you're just looking at the numbers. And So is this like a boycott situation? Yes, it's a review boycott because people are upset they, they feel like they deserve a certain story. And Naughty Dog and Neil Druckerman, who is the director, they have a, some other story to tell. And it just, it's really, that entitlement is almost just offensive to me. Like, you know, as someone who grew up doing art and has done graphic design for years and years and created drone videos, and we make this podcast, like all this stuff, these are our you know, our artistic expressions and no one really has any entitlement to anything other than what we as the artists want to present them. And it's it's just uh, crazy how video game players are just, they're just a bunch of spoiled brats. Anyone that's interesting, wondering the last of us part two is absolutely amazing. You should definitely play it. Do not listen to the consumer ratings. It's very interesting. You know, I I feel like there is, uh, out of all the, like, wild fandom uh, worlds and universes that are out there, uh, and I, I'm a part of a few of them, so this is no shade, but the video game community, it does seem like that there's a couple subsects of that world that you don't want to piss off. It's the worst, man. It's just yeah, a bunch you know, of they're- sweaty jerks sitting in... Yeah. The uh the metaphorical mom's basement just getting on the internet and expressing their outrage. You know, I, I uh uh was first introduced actually to Brene Brown, this amazing social worker, author, uh who does data driven research into empathy, shame, all these you know, fascinating and difficult topics. And uh, Ironically, my introduction to her was through the podcast, My Favorite Murder, a true crime podcast, and they mentioned one. her in one of the first episodes that I talked about in that Brene Brown taught, taught them this lesson that you should not take criticism from somebody that has not put themselves out there create, creatively. So, I mean, it's, it's great advice. And I, I've read Brene Brown's uh, Braving the Wilderness just recently. I listened to her podcast as well, Unlocking Us. So, uh, you know, there, I mean, there's something there where we we love to, you know, want things a different way. It's like controlling somebody else's project. You got to just start your own project. Totally. Start your own podcast. Now's the time. Everyone's got one. Do it. Do it. <laughs> All right, well, uh, let's take a quick break, and then we will come back and get into some content. content. The Content Clearinghouse is brought to you by Best Maps Ever. They make checklist posters for outdoor adventurers who want to see it all. If you want to visit every national park in the United States, climb every 14er in Colorado, or ski every slope in New England, Best Maps Ever posters are the perfect way to track and inspire your quest. Every map is lovingly designed with icons marking each location so you can stick a pin in the icon or color it in with a marker as you check off the areas you've been to. They offer mounting and framing services for maps that are ready for pinning right out of the box, or if you prefer to mount the map yourself, there are tips on the website to help you with that. They have a slew of maps relating to protected areas and public lands like state parks, national forests, and even more obscure maps like the National Wild and Scenic Rivers system. So Josh, one of the maps my wife and I have mounted in our camper is the National Parks map. Now it's covered in pins because, well, you know, Bree and I get around. And Best Maps Ever makes our gallivanting around the country even more fun because we can put a pin in the map to prove that we've been there and done that. No one could ever cheat that system, Brett. Well, It is on the honor system. 
Best Maps Ever does not employ any sort of pin-related security system that will come to your house and check and see if you've actually visited the places you've pinned. <gasps> Since you brought it up, I have uh, the skydiving drop zone map hanging up in my office. It's one of the few decorations I have that's not celebrating one of my many athletic achievements. In fact, it's hanging up on the wall right next to my world's most humble man trophy. <whistles> For all your cartographic needs, visit bestmapsever.com. They've got the best maps ever. Welcome back to the Content Clearinghouse. Brett, speaking of content, lay it on me, buddy. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about this today. I think it's a little bit light. I think we need a little a little bit of levity. Uh, yes. So at first, at first glance, this Netflix reality series, which focuses on five first dates, but only one second date, it doesn't normally seem like the kind of content that I would uh, need to clear out of my brain so to that i say how dare you pigeonhole me i don't just read <laughs> nonfiction psychology and sci-fi i don't watch movies with just the lightsabers and the superhero I, I watch other things too shows i already admitted to you i watch shark tank okay so the best of trash con- tv <laughs> that's right <laughs> So, I mean, we're professional contentologists. Uh, and my it's tastes, a real thing. they're very. It is a real thing. Look it up. Uh, actually, don't. My tastes are varied. They're vast. They confuse me at times. Uh, but dating around, it does not fall into the realm of Shark Tank. This is something, like I said, lighthearted. This is classy. It's entertaining. It's very addictive. And in my opinion, this is by far one of the highest quality but also unassuming dating shows that's been ever created and i think it's setting the new standard for reality tv and this is a reality tv that not only do i want to watch but i'm also not embarrassed to tell people that i watch so before i get into dating around and what i love about it i do want to talk about reality tv just a little bit yeah reality uh, tv any... is not yeah. something i ever thought i would hear during the content piece. Those are not words right. that I was ever expecting to hear. So I'm really right. I'm well, really interested though to see cuz you you don't like shitty things. So I'm really excited to hear about this. Well, we're 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 going to we're going there for sure. So Let's do it. Are there any reality TV shows uh that you're into, trashy or otherwise, that you're willing to admit on the podcast? I mean, we have talked about Shark Tank before, and uh, it's definitely not something that I would seek out, but when it's on, I will watch it. Also, my wife watches a show called Songland. Again, it's not something that I would put on myself, but it is really interesting. It's like these songwriters bring in artists, and then they do like a collaboration with, uh, with the competitors on the show, and the writers, the competitor that wins the show, and then the artist all create a song together. And that's really good too. And I will, I'm not afraid to admit also that I do love uh, Queer Eye. Have you watched Queer Eye? I haven't, but that's a very popular show. Dude, they're just like those guys are just everything they do, they're just so good at it. And they are just absolutely hilarious. It's, it's a great show as well. I am looking for some fashion tips, so I'll I'll have to check it out. Yep, uh, you'll get that hair tips, cooking tips, and uh, life coaching all in the same package. But none of those are things that, <laughs> that I would amazing. ever put on myself. It's all just this is on. I will sit down and watch it. Right. Well, um, good answer. Uh, y- you didn't embarrass us uh, too much. I like that. So I, I'm going to admit that growing up, I did I did watch kind of with the family uh, some some reality TV. So my I think my introduction to reality TV was probably Survivor. Um, also, my family we were a big fan of uh, we were big fans of Amazing Race. I also in writing the outline for this, The Mole. Do you remember that at all? That was kind of an interesting show. Never even heard of that. Yeah, it was kind of a who done it spy 
It was, it was, I don't know, I, I think it was actually good, but it's been so long, it probably isn't. It probably didn't stand the test of time, but... What that makes me think of is, I, I, there is one reality show that I love so much, and it's, it's something you have to get it on YouTube now, but it's called Special Ops Mission. It's with this guy, Will Willis, who is like a ranger, and they do these missions where they'll present him like an opposition force, some mission, and then he has a control center that sends him in. And the whole time he's recording himself, his gun is loaded with simunition, which is like, it's it fires like a real bullet, but it's a paintball. And then he goes through like a combat scenario, unscripted with, you know, he has to rescue hostages, or he has to take over a boat or something. And that show... Actually, I just watched an episode of that today. If I had to put top of the tier reality TV show, I'd say Special Ops Mission. Yeah, that seems right up your alley for sure. It totally is. Well, Anyways, some continue. reality TV shows. Yeah, so what what I've kind of um, watched a little bit more recently, Naked and Afraid, Scare Tactics, those are kind of more like modern reality TV that like like you, I wouldn't seek it out, but if it's on, it's on. I'll watch it. Um, and I did remember an oldie but a goodie that I haven't seen in years. Pimp my ride. Do you remember that terrible show? <laughs> Is that with Exhibit? Oh yeah, got it. <laughs> Ooh. Is that your jam? Now, uh, I don't know. I watched it. I'm not even sure if I liked it, but I remember it quite well. It's ridiculous. American Chopper. It's pretty good. Yeah, I think I did. I have seen a little bit of that. Well, anyway, we could talk about reality TV all day, and uh, but it's apparently do, our favorite thing. <laughs> apparently, it is. <laughs> Maybe we should start a reality clearinghouse. Uh, there's plenty of reality shows that we could get Just into. A Kardashian it might melt review our, show. Oh God, our brains are gonna melt. So, like you pointed out. Uh, reality TV is definitely not a genre that I planned on exploring on our podcast. I'm, despite what it seems like, I'm actually not a big reality TV show fan. Um, I I feel like I I pretty much I don't want to say I grew out of the genre. I definitely don't want to malign the wonderful folks that do enjoy reality TV. But there there is an opportunity cost for when you watch entertainment, and I'm usually looking for a well crafted storytelling. Uh, piece or some thought-provoking social commentary or you know special effects uh, action something like entertaining or riveting and if I'm watching the 24th season of The Bachelor I don't have time to watch the last season of Game of Thrones well actually I what's I'll be honest I, me, I did yeah I think what bothers me most about reality TV is just the disingenuous nature of a lot of it, you know, about how they will oh, yeah. edit the uh, edit the conversations to tell whatever story they're trying to get across. And I think like that's when I learned that that kind of thing happened in reality TV. That's where a lot of it lost me. Absolutely, that's one of the biggest criticisms of reality TV, and it, it, it's uh, honestly a major problem. Um, but I did I do uh, want to point out I I did watch both the game of thrones final season and i also watched peter weber's season of the bachelor and i'll tell you it was the bachelor that left me tearing out my hair even though the game of thrones finale got a ton of criticism are you a bachelor fan at all because pilot pete uh, what no. was his deal man oh okay. i don't even know who that is <laughs> okay <laughs> so um so clearly we watched some reality tv but it does face uh, like you said, there's significant criticism around it. It does not accurately reflect reality. It puts these participants into artificially constructed situations. Uh, it's deceptive. It's misleading. They edit. They stage scenes. Some of these shows have been criticized for humiliating or exploiting the participants. And honestly, I mean, I've seen some of these shows that I didn't mention that... Uh, are pretty bad. I mean, I would agree with the criticism that this this does happen, but you cannot deny the popularity. I mean, it provides distraction. It's got escapism, and I think the kicker is the drama. 
it's like white noise entertainment for the masses. Yeah, I mean, it, for sure. There's some something about this this drama that I think gives us a little. Uh, I don't know if it's a distraction or if it's like a dopamine a dopamine hit from you know these these screaming at each other uh, moments. Well, everybody loves to so, see a train wreck they're not involved in. There Everybody you go. loves to see me broken down on the side of the highway with my engine exploded, but I got a free engine, right. suckers. <laughs> right, we're all we're all just rubberneckers, aren't we? Yeah. So, speaking of drama, I have noticed a trend. I'm going to put this out there. I think it's true. I'm curious what you think. Now, you've heard the saying, life imitates art. I'm thinking as real life is beginning to look more and more like a reality television show. It's got sensationalist news, constant drama. Now it seems reality TV, which reached this pinnacle of sensationalism and drama, is now responding to the intensity and increasing intensity of real life by by pulling things back a little bit. So I, I think, I this is my guess, I think that there's this net influx of total drama exposure and we're feeling this drama fatigue and so reality tv is uh stepping on the brake a little bit have you so noticed this like at all if you like if you're not getting enough drama in your real life then you want to consume it through media like this and if you're overloading I do. drama then you want something that's a little li- more lighthearted and easier to to eat that is that is my hypothesis, if you will. Yeah, that would make now, sense. That's really interesting. <laughs> that's at least uh, what I notice for me, because even when I do feel like escaping a little bit and just watching a little Shark Tank, I still find that to be like a little too dramatic for my taste right now, and I want to go back to something where even if the storytelling or the HBO show or the movie or whatever is dramatic and intense, I know that it's truly fiction. I know that it's a work of art. I know that somebody is painting me a picture, right? But with reality TV, with all of its flaws, it's it's trying, it's trying, it's saying that it is attempting to show real life when really it's just like manufacturing this drama and it just, it feels like a bit too much. So that that is my guess and that is my prediction to where, for where reality TV is going. That's interesting. Yeah, you know, like when you're watching a movie, you know, all the, people involved can get off the right at the end but with reality tv like these some of the way it's edited could actually impact these people's lives when they are oh done it does working on the jersey shore or whatever oh yeah absolutely i mean stars have been born uh you know and some of them have have th- yeah some of them have thrived and and some of them have had complete meltdowns i mean it's it's uh you know it's tragic now, the, um, I was reminded of one of my favorite books, Kevin Kelly's book, What Technology Wants, when I was thinking about this idea, uh, because I don't think we're going to grow out of bad, dramatic reality TV. So in What Technology Wants, Kevin Kelly talks about when new technology is developed, and he's not talking about TV at all, It's, uh, but just bear with me here. When new technology is developed that makes old technology obsolete, we don't really lose the old technology. I mean, you can still buy old farming equipment that really doesn't have any functional purpose today, except for people that want to use these old techniques. So, I mean, there's, think about it. There's people that make medieval suits of armor. They make swords using the same methods of the past. So we're not getting rid there of are reality this. TV shows about that exact thing. <laughs> it's true. It's Forged coming full circle. Yeah. yeah, it's a that's a good one. So you you don't get rid of the old stuff. You just increase the choices and the options that you have. Uh, so you can have any number of these new things and the old things too, if you want. And I think of it, and even Kevin Kelly talks about the. He kind of relates this to uh, the theory of evolution, but. It's like this evolutionary tree of life that starts out as this single-celled organism, and then it diversifies, it branches out into this vast animal kingdom. And I feel like entertainment has been on this same trajectory 
uh, since the beginning of time. I mean, we have this one format from the old days, like this oral tradition, and then it turns into conversations, the written word, visual audio. You know, it grows to virtual reality video games. So we had this one television broadcast. It grew into seven channels. It became hundreds of shows. I mean, there's literally more content than ever. And that's not just like some hyperbole or, you know. They didn't just do that so we could have this show. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And it's only going to continue. So you don't necessarily lose the old stuff, unfortunately. But you do gain diversity. You do gain options. And in this case... What I think of uh, with Dating Around is you get a more evolved and higher quality show. So you don't think that we're headed towards an idiocracy style world where there's nothing but Al My Balls on TV? Well, in some ways we might be because (laughs) I think one of the strange predictions in idiocracy, I'm glad you brought this up. Uh, I hadn't thought about this, but when he's sitting in that lazy boy toilet and he's watching like later, twelve channels, when he's when he's watching twelve channels at once, I mean, I find myself occasionally like on my laptop looking at my phone with the TV on next to me, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is a moment from Idiocracy. We are, you know, our attention spans are so short. We like always need to be bombarded by entertainment. Uh, so that's, I do think we could be headed into, and, and plus, you know, are people listening to Sam Harris or are they watching Shark Tank? I mean, whatever is like the easiest to digest and whatever just grabs your attention and is the loudest seems to get a lot of, uh, a lot of, I guess Shark Tank's another bad example, but I, I think of these wild YouTube videos that are radicalizing people. That idea of, being constantly bombarded with entertainment like that's the content circuit i'm sorry to say i mean that's yeah basically like what i do it's like i always have a book a podcast a game a movie and a show that are always in my queue and i'll do them all at the same time but that's like kind of a it's like a less extreme version of that yeah, I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with uh, consuming a lot of content. I just, I think that we have to know our limits, and I think that we have to be mindful of, you know, are we really engaged in the show and engaged in the book that we're reading? Or, you know, are we doing multiple things at once, and do we just have a TV show on in the background, right? And I And that's something that I think is very significant that I noticed with this Netflix show that I'm talking about, it grabs my attention. I mean, I didn't watch this with my phone in my hand. Like I wanted to see every little subtle uh, reaction and little snippet of awkward conversation. And it's very difficult in our war- in our just bombardment of content world that we're in to really find a piece of entertainment that just draws you in so effortlessly. Well, tell me about the show a little bit. Yeah, so um, I before I do there, I do want to say not all Netflix reality TV shows are quality. There is there is a lot of trash, and I think Netflix it. just I I I love it, but uh, <laughs> it's, it's not good. So bad, it's good. <laughs> yes. Uh, so uh, this article that was published by Valley Magazine uh, by Marae Ogan Bayou, she kind of argues that Netflix makes the best trash on the market and argued that the key to making trash reality television is pretending that the show is not trash and uses the example that the most successful reality shows to date were created on just crazy concepts that only got crazier. So one of the examples, Real World, Survivor, I mean, these are some of the earliest reality shows. They never shied away from what their shows were trying to capture just chaos insanity right so yeah it's where the whole idea of the manufactured reality came from is those shows absolutely and they uh, other shows a lot of modern network reality shows they want to pretend that they're about something more than they are and this chaos is just a byproduct so the bachelor is pretending it's about finding love the real housewives 
uh, pretends it's about female friendship, right? But they're they're still creating chaos. That's the byproduct. Netflix seems to be creating reality shows that start with the chaos and just get more chaotic. So I don't know if you've seen uh, Too Hot to Handle. I've heard a lot about it. I haven't seen it, but it's about a a group of attractive people that just get more and more insufferable when they realize that they can't have any sexual contact or they're going to lose a lot of money. It's beyond <laughs> first world problems. For sure. Uh, a show that that's, I did watch. That's space problems. <laughs> it is. It is. Um, another, a show that I actually did watch is The Circle. They come out of the gate with contestants already lying about their entire identities. It's kind of this social media, you know, but it's, I mean, it's it's a chaos first model. So I liked this theory um, about Netflix's techniques with reality TV, but dating around... Behold into a network's restrictions. They can just go as crazy and extreme as they want to. For sure. But I actually also, I I have a different theory as well. Um, I have a theory that they are uh, collecting viewer data. And since they are not beholden to any advertisers, they're producing their own shows and they've been producing... Uh, originals for quite a while now and they're just starting to enter the reality TV market and I think that they can try different shows that are very unique concepts but are based around the viewer data that they're collecting to find out what people like that they don't even know that they like. Now I, I couldn't find any real concrete confirmation of this. Well they're not going to publish that unless somebody does an expose on them. But you're right. probably like right. I, I mean, I, I have a, a theory that, you know, some of these studios operate around this idea, these networks operate around this idea like, okay, a smart person comes in with a great script. We hire a team. We build this out. We like this idea. I mean, Netflix can really collect some information about what people are watching, how they spend their time, what they binge watch. And they don't have to share any of that and it's not even that much of an invasion of your privacy because they're just trying to curate better entertainment for you although i guess you could argue that that's what advertisers are doing too they want to advertise better for for you by collecting your data have you heard about netflix how at one point it was a scandal where they were found to be changing the cover art based on who they thought the customer was so there was an incident with a, a black customer that was having the cover art changed oh. in movies with predominantly white casts to feature a black actor in an attempt to make that movie more appealing to them. And, you know, it's it, it was kind of a, a big deal that people felt that they were manipulating them with this kind of the power they have. And it's really like a glimpse behind the curtain, what they can do with that kind of data. That is very interesting. Well, definitely find that article. We will definitely link it into the show notes. Um, so definitely make sure you check out the show notes to do a little bit more digging on uh, Netflix. Uh, so with dating around it, this is not a chaos first show. Um, and like I said, I think it was inspired by uh, this one particular show. This is once again, my theory. I couldn't find anything about this. But Terrace House is a Japanese show. It focuses on three men and three women. Uh, They're usually young. They all live together in a house, and they have a car, and it's all provided by this show. And then they just go about their lives. I mean, it is kind of the antithesis of American reality TV. I know it it sounds like a Big Brother-type concept. If you watched it... (laughs) Uh, you would see what I mean when I say it's not like reality TV uh, here. I mean, it captures this this subtlety, this nuance of ha- living with roommates and, and having maybe some of these relationships that uh, blossom. And there is a little bit of commentary, and that's what it, do- it does not have in common with dating around. Uh, but there's these Japanese comedians that talk about the last scene or some interaction that the people in the house had. And it honestly just serves as a reminder that Japanese communication and culture is 
much different than the United States or really anywhere. I mean, there's no artificial drama or forced situations. One of them might raise an eyebrow, and then the uh, hosts of the show are like, oh, my gosh, that was the craziest thing I've ever seen. And The rudest thing ever. The rudest. Um, And it, it sounds like this show might be boring. I can assure you it is not. I love Terrace House. It is pure gold. I've watched every single season, and it definitely may not be for everyone, but I love it. I think you should check it out. Uh, So on Dating Around, this is the premise. The the title of the episode is the name of the person who is embarking on five first dates. We follow the conversations, the flirty banter, you know, the awkward exchanges. Uh, We're like a we're like a fly on the wall. We go from appetizers to dinner to maybe some after dinner drinks. And our titular single person is given a quick introduction by a friend or maybe even a family member as we see them heading for the date. Now, the fun part of this show, it, it sounds pretty basic right now, but the editing is done very seamlessly. So as he or she is introduced we get uh so this is uh let's say original single they walk up to the restaurant and introduce themselves to other single number one they open the door for them we see the couple walk in they the there's kind of a break in the scene now they're in the restaurant but the other single one is replaced by other single number two with the same original single. So it's this very seamless flow of one date with our original single that's looking for love remaining the same. He even wears the exact same outfit on five unique dates. It's in the same restaurant with five unique dates. So you get this real sense of continuity and you have this like clear chronological passing of time. I mean, they start out having a little bit of, hey, how you doing, small talk, then they maybe get into some more serious stuff at dinner, and and then they maybe uh, go out for another beverage or two. But the other singles, one through five, they're trading places instantly, and the editors of this show, they do it during like a very similar question or in like a seamless point where they're moving from the bar to the table, or maybe they're just doing it like between... Uh, the shots of the two getting to know each other. And you follow along when they very first meet to when they say their goodbyes. And in the last few minutes of the show, you see original single, number one, now meeting up with someone for a second date. So is it going to be other single number three? Because they had some chemistry. Was it other single number five? Because they kind of hit it off. So you kind of find yourself maybe guessing who's going to get the second date. You may be questioning why you weren't right about that. I mean, it's a very simple concept, but it's executed very well. So is that like episode one, then episode two would be date two and then so on and so forth to the nope. Whittle so it we down? have a, no. So every episode only has one original single. And then, the next episode is a totally different oh, original man. single looking for love with five different people. So you really, you never, it, it's not this long story arc. It's not, we start with 15 women who will be the one to get the final rose. Like this is just a 30 minute look at five first dates with just a tiny few minute snippet as to the reveal of who hit it off and who's going to go see each other one more time. And then it's it. So we just see like the beginning budding blossom of innocent love. And then it's a several other singles looking for love. And it's, it's very, very fun at the end of the season of showing like who they all ended up with, or is that not even part of the, uh, the concept? It's not, not even, even part that. of the concept. Interesting. Nope. It is, it is interesting. Um, so the first season debuted on Valentine's Day, February 14th, 2019, if you didn't know when Valentine's Day was. Uh, season one is set in the Bronx. Now, season two is set in New Orleans. It just came out, and it is the reason that I'm talking about this show. Because I'll be honest <laughs> with right. you, 
I didn't even know that I really liked the show Dating Around this much. But when it came out, uh, season two came out right around the time that I was sick recently and I was stuck in bed. I saw this this title, Dating Around, season two, now out. I literally put everything aside, even taking medicine, so I could just binge watch the entire season straight through. I'll die if I didn't it, leave that's bed. what it takes. I mean, it literally, uh, this show is better than medicine, and that statement is not approved by the FDA. It's better than living. But I mean, it, <laughs> I mean if that's the way I'm going to go out, the second Please season... tell me they have dating it, around it, in heaven. <laughs> It, it honestly it made me realize like this isn't just a fun show it's not just a binge worthy show i mean it is a great show so both seasons you have lots of colorful personalities you definitely have some awkwardness but in the same vein as the terrace house uh you really just have simplicity uh you just have these two people talking there's no implosions there's no yelling there's no competitiveness there's no rose ceremonies it's just this good clean albeit slightly voyeuristic pleasure watching this show and if you find people fascinating i think this is fascinating i mean it's really fun to see people meet for the first time it's more fun when they're meeting for the first time to see if they want to you know, eat more food together, watch Netflix together, maybe one day take a road trip together and listen to our podcast. Woo! If you guys do that on Dating Around, please plug us. That's right. Um, another little thing I love about the show are these little details that happen in the background. And that it, kind of like how the entire premise of an episode is is just this question that that leaves the ending a little unanswered there are these other little unanswered questions like when you see this uh same couple or the same guy or gal and not just the same bar but being served by the same bartender so and then the date changes the date changes so on on two or three even different dates you got this same like background bartender just standing there serving drinks and i'm wondering is that awkward like this dude is slinging drinks and he becomes this like weird placeholder this token of this one long date uh format where all these various people are just like blinking out of existence to be replaced by somebody else on the same date with the same person who does whose clothes don't even change like his hair doesn't even i was change. gonna ask just, that they yeah the bartender if they like mandated his clothing for this i'm sure he's like hired as part of it wherever they decide to do the date like anyone that's gonna for sure on, on film they're probably probably reality tv showing them up yeah i mean I, I don't think that they you know they just they they are good they go to the same restaurant and they like try to get him to sit at the same table but i don't because you see the servers are different people sometimes but then there'll be that episode where the bartender serves the same like five different women uh, you know with this with the one guy and i'm just kind of wondering it's probably like, the guy it's like i'll appear on tv for free <laughs> yeah for sure. I mean, it, you get all the pleasure uh, and fun of watching people date without this like dirty feeling you have after watching like some weird, I don't know, 90 day fiance thing. I mean, whatever the show, we've all been there. You watch two or three episodes of The Bachelor back to back and you start asking yourself, what am I doing with my life and why do I have so much free time? Uh, but to Bachelor Nation, no offense intended. <laughs> It's like reality TV for people that don't want to see a train wreck. Right. Absolutely. So I got to recommend Dating Around. I think it's a fantastic show. If you love love, you'd love Dating Around. It is honestly, it's quality reality TV. It is definitely the best dating show I've ever seen. And it's an innocent glimpse, not just at these potentially happy couples but it also uh, life before the coronavirus when people just went out in New Orleans or went out in the Bronx and went on a couple dates and had a couple drinks and had a nice time. So check it out on Netflix, Dating Around. I think it's awesome. And I want to hear your thoughts. You should get on cchpod.com for our website. Uh, we also have show notes 
We're on Spotify. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on all different kinds of platforms, Instagram and Facebook at The Content Clearinghouse. I would love to hear some thoughts on dating around because I think that this is uh, reality TV 2.0. I think that this is the future and it's wonderful and it's subtle and it's sweet. That's awesome, man. I really like that idea too of the, uh, the aesthetic element of having them wear the same clothing and then they just blink in new people. Yeah. It seems like a, a really great. clever editing trick. Uh, it's it's They really put a lot of thought into this for sure. That's cool because I feel like a lot of reality TV shows, especially like in the dating realm, all it all just kind of like blurs into one. I mean, there are clearly a lot of cool reality shows, you know, like, making motorcycles or making weapons or like combat scenarios, spy stuff. Like that's all that kind of, that stuff all kind of stands out on its own. But I, th- I feel like the, the uh, dating genre all in my mind just kind of blends together. So it's cool that they have that very interesting concept and, you know, the way of presenting it visually that definitely sounds like it make it stand out a little bit. I mean, I, I feel like it stands out by not, trying to stand out by actually being what reality TV pretends to be, which is real. I mean, I feel like reality is so much less dramatic than most reality TV shows would lead you to believe. And this is so refreshing because it really is, at least it appears to be real. Just just some first dates, just a, just a little blind date action with all the good and all the bad, but it's, it's, it's so simple. I mean, it's, it's so relaxed. It's like a easy meal going down. That's right. It's a, it's a good time to, it's a good time to watch people just get to know each other, uh, and hopefully find love. Sounds very interesting, and I will give it the highest praise that I can give to any reality TV show and say that I won't turn it off if it's on. <laughs> well said, well said. Well, thanks everyone so much for listening to the Content Clearinghouse this week. Uh, like Brett said, check us out on social media, all the places, and join us next week right here at the 